0: Welcome back to Crossing the Jordan, everybody. I pray that you are doing wonderful and walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit that God desires for you to live. And uh, this is the first episode in 2022, so Happy New Year's, and I pray that this year is a transformative one in God's grace. And um, so this is an Always More Wednesday episode, and this is all about how Christ elevates all of humanity, both in our nature, yes, um, in the fullness of time in our redemption. God will... Uh, fully redeem our humanity. So, our body and soul will be united together in the end on a new heavens and a new earth. So, yes, in that. But also, here in history, he lifts up all of philosophy or wisdom. He lifts up all of Israel and the worship that Israel has. He lifts up all of the law and morality, and he lifts up all of human history. Um, and so that's what I wanted to talk about today. And the next episode in our always uh, in our series of salvation is going to be about how Christ did everything for us. God needed nothing. But this is a little different. This is all about how Christ and his humanity really does lift up everything about humanity in the truth, beauty, and goodness of God. And um, this is really, uh, I, I love that this is a JP2 quote. It says, Jesus is the human face of God and the divine face of man. So in Jesus, we, we see our very uh, end of who we desire to be. So not only does he reveal God to us, but he reveals us to us. And how, how, how amazing the life that he wants to give us is that us as creatures, he wants us to be living fully alive in the creator. And by participation in the divine life of God, which is love itself for us to be living in that love itself, which is fully glorious that we cannot even fathom eye has not seen, ear has not heard, for what God has destined and created for all of us. And so uh, today, I'm going to be talking about how Jesus and his humanity, God, the eternal son, the creator of the entire universe of space and time and all of history, in his humanity, he lifts up everything about humanity. And so we'll break it down really into basically four parts, but really there's three main parts. First part is going to be about philosophy or wisdom, the search for wisdom. And the second part, we're going to be talking about how he lifts up all of Israel. So, and all that comes with it because God has chosen people with the, with the Israelites, with the Jewish, with the Jewish people has been fully revealed and fully fulfilled and transformed into the reality of The events and worship that took place back in Israel is now in the fullness of the new covenant in reality. So that's the second part we need to talk about is lifting up Israel. And then the third part is lifting up morality, um, which is more so just a continuation of philosophy and logic. But uh, so let's dive right in. So philosophy and wisdom. At the very beginning of the Gospel of John, John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So first and foremost, John here is clearly articulating that this word, which we'll later come to know, is that this word became flesh and dwelt among us, so in Jesus is is God himself, because not only did he create everything, and he's outside of the created order, but it says the word was God. But he's also articulating the divine life of the Trinity, this three persons and one God, because he says the word was with God, and he's talking about God the Father. And so he's beginning to reveal the life of the Trinity. But also that word, the that word word (laughs) is the Greek word logos or logos, L-O-G-O-S. And this logos means this divine wisdom, this divine order, this divine truth, that truth itself. It's the fullness of God. It really it's the being of the reality, the subjective truth. But it also means this order. There is a order to the world. And so and and this has a powerful context both in philosophy, like the Greeks, they not Jew, not the Jewish people had Plato and Aristotle. They seeked wisdom, this order. They saw that there is an order to all the universe, all this order to all of creation, and that's where this logic and philosophy, this seeking for wisdom, came into being. But also the Jews had this word as well, both in this seeking for wisdom, but also in the created order. And because at the beginning, God spoke this word and it came into being. God said that there was light and there was light. And so this word in the Jewish uh, scriptures also revealed that uh, God spoke this word and his word has power and it carries forth and it accomplishes the very purpose purpose for which he sent it. But also it's this wisdom. If you look at like such as like in the, the wisdom books of the Old Testament, they use this seeking for wisdom, this beauty of wisdom and that that is this logos, this word, this this beauty and truth, and wisdom itself is God. And so here, not only is the Gospel of John saying that the word is uh, this wisdom of God became flesh, but also this uh, philosophy, of <laughs> this wisdom, this order of God who spoke all things into being took on flesh. And we see this beautifully articulated in St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians, his first letter. Listen to this in chapter one, verses 23 through 25, St. Paul says, Jews demand signs and Greek seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God for the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. So here St. Paul is saying like, well, the Jews are like, well, Prove that you're the Messiah that by signs and wonders. They wanted to see all these these mighty works that the this Messiah would do, and he did do that. But they still had hard hardened hearts. Not all of them, obviously. The first Christians were Jewish, but also to the Greeks, they seeked wisdom. And so, for Saint Paul to come and be speaking philosophy and logic to these Gentile nations who uh, you were seeking wisdom and this this order for. St. Paul to say, yeah, the God who created all this took on human flesh and was crucified, they were like, that just sounds foolishness and weak. (laughs) This sounds stupid and silly. But St. Paul is saying that Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And then later on in the next chapter, uh chapter 2 verse 1 through 2 St Paul goes on to say when I came to you brethren I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God in lofty words or wisdom for I decided to know nothing among among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified and the reason this was is because St Paul was proclaiming this this he was arguing with the the people in Athens who were steeped in philosophy that through the Greek tradition. And he was, he was actually arguing with them that like, no, God is one. And he has revealed himself through the Jewish people. And he is fullness of time taken on human flesh and died for you so that even the Gentiles can be grafted on to this root of Israel. But that didn't have much success. This this arguing and it got into philosophy and all these things but he said I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified and he goes on to say that so that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of men but on the power of God and so he came proclaiming Christ crucified that the God who who took on human flesh has been crucified and he has come to unite all of us and to give us divine life and to restore all of humanity and this wisdom that you seek is in him, is in him is that in this broken world, that we humble ourselves and follow after him, and that we would actually find uh, the truth, beauty, and goodness itself, all the things that you seek is in Jesus. And then St. Paul, again, in just a few verses later, again, talking about this this wisdom of God, which that God decreed before the ages for our glorification. So he's first saying that God has done this for our hum- human glorification, And then he says in verse eight, but none of the rulers of this age understood this for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So there's a few implications of this is one is that St. Paul is saying Jesus himself is God almighty is the Lord of glory. And this is uh, taken from, I think the book of Daniel where talking about the son of man would, would uh, you know, restore the glory of God. And so Jesus as the son of man, he is the Lord of glory. He is God himself. He is God crucified. And yet um, he is the one who reveals the, the this beautiful wisdom of God and for our glorification that he would take on our human flesh to glorify, glorify us. And none of us understood this, and because if we did, we would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And yet, even through this crucifixion, this weakness and this foolishness of God is the power and the wisdom of God for our glorification. Um, in Colossians chapter 2, St. Paul says this, starting in verse 8. See to it that no one makes a prey of you by philosophy or empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the universe, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have come to fullness of life in Him, who is the head of all rule and authority. And so the Colossians were these Gentile converts, and so they had, they, uh, maybe a little bit of pagan worship of like these false gods, but also this, this like. This, they think that they're so wise by thinking of all these different things or um, these things of human tradition or how the universe works and I'm sure had a lot of superstition in it. And so St. Paul here is telling them that this this seeking after wisdom, and the wisdom itself, God, this word, this wisdom that you seek is found in Jesus Christ who took on human flesh. He is the human face of God. And so this... All these elemental spirit, spirits that you're seeking are under his authority. So St. Paul is trying to renew their minds of saying, all these things that you believe about the universe, stop being superstitious for one, but but two, the things that you seek is found fully in in Jesus. The one who, the deity who created all of this, he, it dwells bodily in him and he is the rule of all rule. He is the head of all rule and authority. So all the things that you're seeking out, out of superstition or these empty deceits that are in human traditions, If it's fully and found in Jesus and stop working around him, go in him. (laughs) So live a life in Christ. And so uh, this word became flesh and philosophy and wisdom, and he is the fullness of it. And it's very interesting too, that Jesus says that he is the beginning and the end, because philosophy is assuming this, that there's a logic to the world and you can seek wisdom and you can seek this logic and this order, this word and this, in the, in the, in the, in the universe or whatever it might be this cause and effect relationship that we see every single day and that we have faith that this world has a constant um reality to it or also just be straight chaos but no God his word is intelligible this word is intelligible and so we can understand it in philosophy but it started from somewhere all this had had this, all these things that we see are contingent realities, meaning that one thing that exists is dependent upon another thing existing. And that thing existing depends on another thing existing. It's kind of like a food chain, (laughs) but it's also a chain of life in just the universe and how it works. And so it's all dependent upon another uh, upon another, but all that came from a non-contingent. And this is what we call God. This is who we call God himself. This, this who is not dependent, who is not contingent, who has no beginning, who has no end. It just is this reality itself speaks into being and creates space and time and matter and uh, things seen and unseen. And so he has this, there's the beginning is God, but also Jesus says he's also the end. So all these things, these order, this goodness and truth that we seek, that is has a right order to it, this intelligible word, this intelligible seeking, all these things that we want to find of Truth and goodness and beauty are found in Jesus. He is truth itself. He is, he is goodness itself. He is love itself. He is wisdom and beauty itself. And so everything that we seek, are what our hearts are made for, he is the end. It's all found in him. And so that is the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ, who came to reveal the fullness of all that we seek, is found in him. And the next topic that we would like to talk about is: is Jesus lifts up Israel? Israel is God's chosen people. Everybody was scattered throughout the world, and God chose the Jewish people to reveal the fullness of who He is—that this one God who created heaven and earth, who chose His people, a for to reveal His goodness to the entire world. And so, uh, if you think about the events and a specifically like the worship of Israel, were shadows or were copies of what was happening happening in heaven, but they weren't reality for them yet. They were participating, they were getting things together uh, in order to, to uh, reflect what was happening in heaven. If you think about even the temple itself, the temple was built and it had all these intricacies of art in it that were supposed to resemble the the garden of adam and eve so it have all this this nature on it because it was saying that in this temple we're restoring what was fallen we're having right order back to god himself and so we're restoring we're having this this reordering of the entire cosmos this is where it all comes together is because it all goes back to god who first created this and it's fallen and so we worship like this and this is from god himself revealing this to them saying create this temple and this is exactly how to worship and if you think about how Moses in Exodus 24, when he's out in the desert with all of Israelites, he comes out on the mountain, he sees and beholds God face to face and they eat and drink and he sees the heavenly worship. This was him seeing seeing heaven and then God giving him how to, to worship here on earth. And so he was making a copy of what he saw in heaven. And the same thing with Ezekiel. Ezekiel has this, if you read Ezekiel, or the book of Daniel, it's very, it sounds like much, much like Revela- the book of Revelation, at the the last book of the Bible, because the book of Revelation pulls a lot from the Old Testament, but a particularly in, in a special way, Ezekiel and Daniel, because Ezekiel and Daniel see these heavenly realities of the liturgical life in heaven, and yet in the old covenants they were just copying what was happening down in heaven, but they were still here on earth, they were still in this broken reality of. Trying to do exactly what God commanded them to do, but this was just a mere foreshadowing. This is a copy, but in the new covenant, it becomes a reality because of Jesus's work. And so, uh, for example, in, in Hebrews chapter nine, the author goes through all of these: uh, the tent, the tabernacle, the holy of holies, the ark of the covenant, all these things, um, and how in the old covenant they were all these things, but. They were still just a mere shadow, and verse in verse twenty-three of chapter nine it says, Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into a sanctuary made with hands, a copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, not to appear, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. And so here he's drawing the, the author is drawing this contra- contrast that what happened in the Old Covenant were these mere foreshadowings, these mere copies of the reality of heaven. Now Jesus, the substance, actually becomes a reality. And St. Paul says this in uh, Colossians chapter 2, verses 16-17, through 17, that therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. He's saying, don't let anybody question you or pass judgment on you for not doing all of those ritualistic things of the Old Covenant, because why? Verse 17, these are only a shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So everything in the Old Covenant has been fulfilled and has become a reality because the substance of all of those things, that they were all just shadows, but their substance, their reality, belongs now to Christ. And so now we can say, as Hebrews 12, verses 22 says, is that in the New Covenant, We have now actually come to Mount Zion, this city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels and feastal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to a judge who is God of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks more graciously than the blood of Abel. The entire author of Hebrews is showing how all of all of Israelite history, all the all the events that happened in Israel, all the worship that happened in Israel were just copies of heaven heavenly realities. But in Jesus, Jesus lifts up reality. He lifts up Israel. He lifts up the worship and then he makes our worship a reality so that it's no longer us just having a copy in this temple, except Jesus now in this temple himself, when we come to mass, we are actually there in heaven, this heavenly Jerusalem and we are there with all the angels and all the saints, and we're worshiping God in spirit and in truth, and we are there only by the new covenant, which is the Eucharist. This is my body. This is my blood of the new and eternal covenant, and so we participate in this heavenly worship. So what was a copy in the past, Jesus lifts up and fulfills and makes it a reality here and now, and this still happens at at, at an altar, and this still happens here on earth, but we are actually taken up into heaven through this this reality of what Christ told us and commanded us to do. And he even says the in Hebrews 13, right after going on about this heavenly worship, the author says in verse 6, We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. And then he continues on contrasting the sacrifices of the Old Covenant through their priesthood, through the Levitical priesthood, and how they continue offering animals that cannot take away sins. But Jesus... We serve an altar. We have an altar here in the new covenant. And yet it's one offering. It's one sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice of Jesus that does take away sin. And it's a one sacrifice. And it is the God made flesh who becomes the lamb of God for us, who takes us up into heaven in this, have, this reality. So even while we're celebrating mass here on earth, every single time we go into mass, we're entering into these heavenly realities that Jesus Christ has won for us. So he lifts up all of Israel in a beautiful, powerful way. And that is why he lifts up not only the, this worship in the Eucharist, but he lifts up all of these realities of these events in the past and this, this uh, revealing of the five old covenants through Adam and, Adam and Eve through Noah and his family, through Abraham and the tribe, through Moses and the nation, and through the Davidic kingdom. These five covenants are now fulfilled in what Jesus gave through Peter and the apostles and through the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And so he lifts up Israel because the church is the new Israel, so he lifts it up. And these realities of what the events that took place are now realities in the the sacraments, in the life of the church, the liturgical life of the church that no longer just copies heaven, but is a participation in heaven itself, in the Catholic, in the one Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church, and this is why Jesus gave us all of these things, and this is why it's very clear when you put back on the Jewish face of Jesus and the Messiah, who was promised that he would, he is salvation is from the Jews, he says, and that he came came to fulfill all of these things, and this is why he gave us a priesthood, this is why he gave us the Eucharist, this is why he gave us the sacraments, this is why. He gave us uh, the the gift of the Pope and the successor of the apostles, and it's because all of these things are fulfilling everything that was done in the old. He lifts up everything into the uh, into this new covenant reality, and so this this new covenant reality that we live in in the one holy Catholic and Apostolic Church isn't doing away with Judaism. It's a fulfillment of it. It's the fulfillment and a lifting up. Jesus lifts up all of Israel. And the very events in the life of Israel are now fulfilled and lifted up in the new Israel, the church. And then the last thing is that Jesus lifts up morality. And morality is based on philosophy and logic. So we already talked about this, how there is a order and a purpose and it ends for every single human action. And uh, so every single action is pointed towards the good, the truth, and the beauty, and the goodness of it. But Jesus is the end of all those things. Love is the end of all those things. So because when you isolate uh, logic into just an ordering of action, they can still be wrong in our intentions and the intentions of our heart because we can still have the right proper end. So using the marital act, so to speak, if somebody could have... The marital act in the right order, the The order is a man and a woman giving themselves fully to each other and even their fertility to each other and having that ends of both uni, unitive and procreative. And they're there. They give themselves fully to each other, but, and, and they are open to life. And so they have, they're open to the procreative ends, the natural logic, the morality, the ordering of the purpose and ends of the sexual relationship. Those could be there. And yet Jesus even heightens that is because love is the end and a love is a fullness of your entire self giving over to to oneself, having your heart pure and an intention to give yourself in love, to will the good of another for the sake of other. In Jesus, he lifts up all of the natural law. And so when we talked about just last time, Israel events and worship, well, all of those rituals were fulfilled by Jesus, but also the, these ritualistic, um, laws of the old covenant are done away with because now it's the fullness of time is faith and morals and the morals are in the natural law, which are the 10 commandments and everything from there is rooted in the natural law and the natural law, again, having this order of every single action of every single human action, having an order and a certain purpose and ends. And so, but Jesus doesn't just stop there and say, do these things and don't do these things. Although he does do that. But he goes further than that and dresses the, the heart and the thoughts of a human being. And so Jesus in Matthew 5, he said he has these, these famous, you have heard it said, but I say to you. The first thing that he's saying is here that he's almighty God. Because the only, the only person who has authority even over the old covenant uh, laws and the commandments was God himself. So he's saying that he's God. And so Jesus, God he says a, a few different things in Matthew five. He sa- he says, "You have heard that it was said to the men of old, 'You shall not kill,' and whoever sh- kills shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be liable to judgment." And he goes on, "You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery,' but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart." He goes on again. "'You have heard that it was also said, "'Whoever divorces his wife, "'let him give her a certificate of divorce. "'But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife "'makes her an adulteress, "'and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery.'" And again, he says, "'You have heard that it was said, "'an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. "'But I say to you, do not resist one who is evil, "'but if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, "'turn to him the other also. "'And if anyone sue you and take your coat, "'let him have your cloak as well. "'And if anyone forces you to go one mile, "'go with him two miles.'" Give to him who begs from you and do not refuse him who would borrow from you. And then he goes on again, and if you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And so Jesus and all of these things, God himself teaching us, is he's addressing the, the real issue, which is the root of all sin, which is the brokenness of the human heart and human thoughts. And so Jesus addresses both our thoughts and our heart. And so he says, not only to not do and to do these certain things that were articulated in the Old Covenant, but I'm telling you, do not even think lustfully. Do not even think of hatred or anger. Do not hate your enemies, even in your heart. And so Jesus here has a new level of morality is that the human heart will be addressed. And this is the what every single human heart needs. Right now in our culture, we have so many divisions because every single person thinks that their issue is the biggest issue. And so we address the needs of certain social injustices. And so, and the church is very, very involved in social injustices. This is why we have so many ministries being, uh, and we're trying to um, get into certain aspects that are completely unjust. And so, We have that life, but that is not the primary thing. The primary thing in all of those issues is sin in the human heart. And so all of those issues has one origin, sin in the human heart, brokenness in the human heart, and pride and envy in the human heart, hatred and lust in the human heart. All of those things lead to all of these actions and lead to all of these uh, injustices that we see and we fight for. And so the first thing that we need to address is the first thing that Jesus addresses is the human heart and the human thoughts. So to not even just not do these things, but have your heart transformed. Do not think like that. Do not feel like that. Do not have your emotions guide your actions. Do not have your broken human feelings and desires guide your actions. Do not think like the, the do not think like this. And so God himself is teaching us this new morality. He lifts up morality. Just as he lifted up philosophy and wisdom, he lifts up Israel and the events and the worship of Israel. He lifts up all of morality. And then this gets back to us, to this again, is how does a human heart, how do human thoughts get changed by the grace of Jesus? (laughs) And so again, we're back to Jesus is the answer. He is the beginning. He is the end. So even morality and logic, the very issue of the human heart, the only answer is Jesus. Jesus has the power. Jesus has the grace. Jesus has the love because Jesus is the end. He's the one who created all goodness, beauty, and truth. He's the one that our hearts are made for and he is the truth, beauty, goodness, and the love that our hearts seek. So Jesus is the end for which our hearts are made. Love is the end for which our hearts are made and Jesus is love. God is love. And so he is the one who will transform our hearts. He is the one who will transform our thoughts. He is the one that morality all points to. The thing that we long for is peace and justice and harmony and love and not this. the peace that the world gives is that just, oh, all these bad things don't exist anymore. No, peace, the shalom peace is a fullness. It's actually even in the midst of brokenness, our hearts are fully in tune with God's presence. And so this is the the reality of Jesus lifting up all of morality and Jesus is the one who has the answer to morality and Jesus is the end that our hearts long for in morality. He is the Prince of Peace. And only he has the answer to the things that you desire, to the things that our hearts desire, to the brokenness of our world. Only happens, not through social justice things, although that's good and that's a part of it. But the first and primary thing is every single human heart is broken and every single human heart needs grace. Every single human heart needs mercy to receive love. And only Jesus can give that. And the last thing that I wanted to say is just history. History is lifted up. History is lifted up. History has to do with all of humanity from the very beginning, time and space and in life itself. Jesus lifts up history, the brokenness. Jesus is the center. There was a history of the Jews, there was a history of the Gentiles, There is a history of all these people. And yet every single one of our histories has, we all have the shame, Same <laughs> the shame, we all have the same common fallen human nature. So we all share in it. All the brokenness of our world has the same root cause. So first, we all have the same origin that we were created in the image of God. And then we all share in this common brokenness. Every single human has tasted death. 100% of people have died. And so we all have this human experience. And all these people have their own stories. And we all have our own stories. But all of our stories become part of his story because Jesus, God himself, took on human flesh to destroy the works of the devil, to make powerless the power of sin, and the grip of sin, and the slavery of sin, and to destroy death. These things that our hearts hurt the most from, Jesus came to fully heal. And it's only by his grace. So Jesus is the center of history. Jesus radically changed the course of history. There would be no hospitals. There would be no uh, ministries that we see. There would be none of... The, the love and the transformation that we've seen in human hearts apart from Jesus. You would still have, you, we would still would have all these philosophies or these spiritual ways or things that people would say, this is how to live happily. And that's all good. But again, the purpose and the ends and the ones that we truly seek for is all found in the person of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is the word. He is that that wisdom itself. He is the beginning and the end. He is the human face of God, and the divine face of man, because he reveals who God is, love itself, and he reveals who we are, who are made in the image and likeness of God, who are called to share in the glory and the love of God himself. And so Jesus is the answer, because the one who you seek in your broken, and our broken humanity, and our frail humanity, is the wisdom and the power of God, which is all found in Jesus Christ and him crucified.